The nail in the coffin! Hey, welcome to episode number 30 of The Nail in the Coffin. Tom Valentino, Travis Uli. We are recording on Wednesday night. Uh, game two of the Western Conference Finals, uh, Thunder and Warriors uh, in progress as we are recording here. I think they're still in the first half. Uh, Trav, uh, how's it going over on uh, your side of town tonight? Um, not too bad over here. Not, not quite as good as the Cavaliers, but still pretty good nonetheless. That's going to be a very high bar for anybody to clear because exactly, man. They uh, let's just get into it. They they just looked absolutely phenomenal. I I don't think anybody really was going to give Toronto much of a shot coming into this uh, Eastern Conference Final series, and the Cavs wasted very little time last night, Game One, removing any doubt um, with uh, where we think that series is headed. Yeah, if uh, if our society could come back to work after nine days off with that sort of efficiency, our economy would be in tremendous shape in general. The fact that we expected like a little bit of rust and we saw it for about four minutes and then they just blew the doors off on the rest of the way. Um, yeah, I don't think rust is an issue. No. And I think that's that, that, that like slightly, very brief slow start has been something that's happened in a couple other games and it's happened enough times now that for me I don't even blink anymore because it it really just seems like the Cavs at that point are kind of in a feeling out process and just really want to play it straight and see what uh, what the opposition's going to do and then they make some adjustments mid first quarter by the end of the first quarter next thing you know you're looking up it's a 30 point quarter they did it again last night they get a little bit of a lead and then the rest of the game for the most part, I mean, a lot of these games are following a pretty similar pattern where they, they tend to just stretch it out and, and keep the opposition at an arm's length for much of the game. And um, last night it was an arm's length, the legs length uh, um, and uh, several, uh, several uh, <laughs> 25 links. It looks secretariat esque at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was, I don't know. It's, we sort of you and I discussed this before and said hey what 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 happens when uh the threes stop falling and the threes didn't necessarily stop falling they just never needed to be taken um we I guess the way that they shot the ball last series we probably expected um Toronto to come out and sort of challenge them to shoot um I don't know that we expected there to be that much availability at the rim though um at one point I want to say LeBron was like eight of eight or nine of nine and he was first nine eight, shots all in the all at the rim his average shot was uh 1.3 feet from the basket um so i don't know that we expected it to be that easy Kyrie was having uh was getting to the racket will um a few good like few tough layups he hit but in general they they didn't need the threes they didn't really they worked the ball around but they always were able to find a guy right near the basket it seemed like which as good as those, as as fun as all the threes are, it's a much. If, if those shots are there, you have to defer and take those. And they did a great job of identifying it and executing last night. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Like before that game, I think it was during the shoot around, 
in the morning. The Raptors coach, Dwayne Casey, had said that um, they, I, I swear he said this, that they were going to try to force the Cavs to beat him from the outside because that's just the way that their defense is structured. It's they, smart. Even they pack the paint. Shoots, right. Even for a team that can shoot, you still want to force them to do that. You can't give them baskets. Yeah, the odds are you're going to cool off shooting 23-footers sooner than you're going to cool off shooting three-footers. So had they done that, I, I really wouldn't have blamed them. But what they actually came out and executed defensively or, or didn't execute, as the case may be, I mean, yeah, they, they, they might have kept the Cavs off the perimeter for the most part, but it was more of a function, like you said, of the Cavs just, I don't even think they really need to look for it. When, when you're just flat out beating guys off the dribble so badly that the other defenders around don't even have time to come over and help and, and recover and, and force a swing pass around or anything. It's just uh, the Cavs just did whatever they wanted offensively last night. And truth be told, the Cavs really, I thought, had a pretty nice game defensively as well. Oh, yeah. very. DeRozan um, got off to a really great start in the first quarter. And then after that, he got real quiet the rest of the night. Kyle Lowry struggled all night. Yeah, DeRozan hit he hit some he hit some tough jumpers, shots that you were you were fine with them taking. Like they were falling, but you were gonna give him those all night. Like if that's what he did to beat you, then so be it. But I mean no one expected those to keep falling all night long. No, not at all. And I mean I think it's really gotta be a little bit uh terrifying if, if you're either the Raptors or, you know, whoever is gonna be coming out of the West, um, that I mean the Cavs they, have been putting up these gaudy numbers offensively because they were making 23s a game. And last night they only attempted 20. They only made seven of them. And they still put up, what, 115, I think it was? Yeah, yeah, 115 points. And that was um, really kind of taking the foot off the gas in the fourth quarter. Um, They just, I mean, it was a completely different style um, from what we had seen earlier, I mean, the, and it just it just shows the Cavs have got multiple ways to beat you, and they're really firing on all cylinders. Yeah, and LeBron said it today. He said, you know, I told you guys before, we're not a jump-shooting team. We're a balanced team. We'll take what's given to us. And I think when he said that last series, they were, I mean, they were hitting 23s a game. So we, so we said, yeah, okay, LeBron, whatever you say. Um, and, of course, we shouldn't be surprised. Uh, LeBron knows the team a little better than we do, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was. If if they're going to give you that, it's going to be an easy series, and I'm not sure that it's it, they could really do anything to make it much of a difficult series. But um, that's about as easy as it, as it's going to get for a team in in the conference finals in the NBA playoffs. I will say this for the Raptors: um, they won 56 games this year, which is I. I pretty damn sure uh, their their best regular season mark by a wide margin um they won two series they made it to the conference finals for the first time and i know those last two series that they played were not real pretty i mean i thought especially after they uh, choked away game one against indiana that they might not get out of that round i really gave them very little chance of beating miami in round two and i you know even before the playoffs started i think when we had uh Justin Rowan, a fear of the sword on here. I said I was going to be shocked if they made the conference finals just because this is a team that um, in multiple years when they've been in position to advance, they've they've um, 
they found a way to uh, shoot themselves in the foot in the playoffs. Like they've never won a playoff game when they've had a lead in a series, which is just a, a, an amazing statistic. And it's still true now because they, um, I mean, they, they had to go seven in in both of these last two series. Um, so I I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily pretty, but I mean, they've made a huge step forward, I think for their franchise this year. Um, and, uh, you know, good for them, but, uh, for as excited as that fan base was and, you know, everybody we saw uh, going bonkers in that outdoor park they had set up uh, that they keep showing every game. Um, I'm still semi-convinced that they just found, like, two to 3,000 people who don't, like, don't know what day it is, and they're replaying, like, uh, Maple Leafs playoff games from, like, 20 years ago. It would have to be um, 20 years ago because I don't think the Maple, the Maple Leafs, Leafs have been relevant since. haven't been relevant in the playoffs in, in, in quite some time, but I don't know where all these all of a sudden Raptors fans come from. They also have this, this We the North thing with uh, like this graffiti that looks like it's also from like 20 years ago. Um, I don't know if, if Toronto just doesn't if, – if, if modern design elements don't cross the border for quite some time. I don't know what the deal is, but – uh, they just, I don't know. They seem like they're forcing it so much that it's, it's sort of annoying. I, d- I did kind of find the, uh, I think it was CBS, the survey they had yesterday, <laughs> which, which in any other like scenario would be kind of funny. But the fact that it was a four, four choice survey, for those that may not be aware, uh, there was a four choice survey said who is going to win the NBA championship. And it was Golden State, Oklahoma City, Cleveland, and other <laughs> which, which which is a fantastic troll move and i'm not 100 percent sure it was even intentional um but it's pretty hilarious nonetheless um it's so brutal that, it's it's hysterical that i don't know maybe they had the survey up before uh before that series with the heat was over i don't know um but pretty funny nonetheless uh i will say this Whoever the Cavs fan is that sold his courtside tickets to that asshole in the turban, you shouldn't be allowed to buy your tickets anymore. They should I, be taken away from you. I, I, I saw that gentleman, and I think he had a friend with him that was a in a, a Corey Joseph jersey, and I'm pretty sure I've seen those guys there before. Um, yeah, the turban guy. The, the, for whatever, the Raptors fans actually have traveled somewhat well, and, and especially coming to Cleveland because it's – not that far of a trip. I can remember multiple regular season games where they've had very large contingents of fans here, even in uh, the LeBron two era um, when, when the Cavs would be selling out otherwise. So uh, yeah, that, that was not the first time, but um, those guys yeah, were very excited. That, uh, they usually have that. They usually have a, a section right um, in the upper deck. That's, that's all Raptors fans for whatever reason. I'm not sure. They seem like really the only team that does that. Um, at least that I've noticed. Uh, I mean, give them credit for that. It was funny. Their uh, the Raptors account seemed to be a little perturbed last night. You see the USA chant. They got. They seemed to think that was like over the line and not classy for some reason. I I, I don't know what that's all. I don't know what that's all about. A little sensitive, I guess. But yeah, they were a little hurt. But my, my thing with that is if your entire marketing campaign is claiming yourself as the team for Canada, then cry foul when a team kicks your ass in 
on behalf of the USA. It's like you're you're calling yourself right. Canada's it's, team, it's, we the North, even though there are two teams right. in the it's, NBA geographically that are further north than Toronto is. But that's oh, a that's a know. story for another day. But yeah, I mean, if you're going to call yourself the North, then that's 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 basically that's basically a Canada right. Champ, that's isn't it? yeah. It's I don't really <laughs> feel bad about a USA champ. I wouldn't initiate one, but I think they were- if other people want to make that a thing, then uh, I'm going to shrug at that. So anyway, um, yeah. Boy, I just how damn fun is this this run? I mean, this is just it's not supposed to be what we're seeing so far at, 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 from the Cavs. I mean, it, it's, it, it's staggering to me. I mean, th- this is a conference final series and ESPN last night, um, the broadcast team was, was talking about Doris Burke, the sideline reporter being on fleek in order for them to fill time <laughs> in the fourth quarter. Cause the game was so out of hand. How much time did they spend last night? Like talking about uh, Van Gundy versus Mark Jackson um, and like instant replays and like all this completely meaningless stuff. They were like, they were grasping for filler in like middle of the second quarter. Um, this doesn't look like a team that just a few months ago were all like, well, maybe they just don't like playing with each other and maybe they're just not a good fit and this, that, and the other thing. They look far and away like the best team in the league right now. I would completely agree with that. I think the Cavs. I know a lot of people uh, nationally have tried to downplay what the Cavs have done, saying that the Eastern Conference is weaker than the West. And I think, as we've seen in the playoffs, that that might be um, that might be true. And and I think definitely at the top, you've got three teams that are elite. Um, I mean, even though San Antonio ended up losing in sixth the la- in the last round, I would still put them a significant cut above anything in the East other than the Cavs. Having said that, if you look at the path that the Cavs had to get to their conference final, playing Detroit and Atlanta, I don't think that is in any way, shape, or form uh, an easier road than what Golden State had playing Houston and Portland. So I... I, Although I'll say this. I'll say uh, Portland has Lillard, and he's... He's more capable of beating you than I think in the playoffs, you can always lose a game. I don't think either team was really at risk of losing a series, but um, if you're looking at uh, Portland versus uh, Atlanta, I I would have been much less surprised if um, like a Damian Lillard just took off, took over one game and killed you. than if Atlanta were to take one from the Cavs, I think just because there's, it, it seems like, He's a cut above anyone that's on Atlanta, I think. And a lot of times, there one guy can win you a game in a yeah, just, series. Can't win you the whole series, but he could. Overall, still it just felt like Golden State's had to work a lot harder for it to get to this point. And I mean, I, definitely Oklahoma City. I mean, they're they're right in it here again tonight. I mean, it, as we're talking now, mid second quarter, I'm looking at it, five point game. Um, I've just been tremendously impressed with what Oklahoma city has been able to do lately. I, in much the same way that the Cavs have really just completely reinvented themselves here down the stretch and become this juggernaut in the East. Um, the, the, the thunder, uh, very different team and playing at a very different level than anything that we saw 
when the Cavs played them twice this year. I know a lot of people from Toronto were trying to make this half-hearted case. Well, like, hey, we won the regular season series with the Cavs, so we we can really give them a, a series here in the playoffs. And anybody from Cleveland who's watched more than two games this year basically laughed them back across the border. Um, for that same reason, I, like, I wouldn't, if, if it would come down to Cavs-Oklahoma City in the finals, I would not look at, well, Cavs own them in the regular season. Um, I mean, I, given the choice, I do think that would be probably the preferable matchup for the Cavs. But I think Oklahoma is a pretty decent matchup. For yeah, the but I mean, I'm not going to say uh, like the Cavs would have it in the bag. But yeah, just I'm they, not basing that on the regular season. Just for the regular yeah, season. I, I mean, there are reasons that I would like a, a matchup with the Thunder. Um, regular season results aside, I, I think having home court in the finals would be huge, and you, you get that against them, and yep. you don't get that against Golden State. But, yeah, I just – Oklahoma City just really impressed me with um, that front line playing Steven Adams and uh, Enos Cantor and just the way they've been able to – I mean, in multiple games now where they have fallen behind, and, I mean, I think there's a lot of people – and I was talking to my dad about this earlier today – I mean, he shut it off at halftime, went to bed. He had to get up for work the next day. And he was he saw, like, Steph Curry hitting the three-pointer at, at the half and Golden State's up 15, and it's like, oh, here we go again. And Oklahoma City, man, just didn't flinch. And, I mean, it was a little, uh, little choppy there at the end. But, I mean, even on a night when they didn't – when their stars didn't shoot the ball particularly great, they went into Golden State and beat them and – and here they are again. I mean, it's it's really been impressive the way they've been able to to come together. Yeah, a week ago I would have I would have been much more confident. I think um, Oklahoma City they've they've really turned it on lately, and it's probably a lot of it. I think probably has to do with health. They haven't been they haven't been complete a good portion of the year. I think that's something that kind of goes overlooked. But for the most part. I didn't. I'll be honest. I didn't think they were ever going to get San Antonio past San Antonio, even when they were up, even when they had a closeout game at home in Game Six. I still was confident San Antonio was going to win that game and win the series. Um, so the fact that they held held strong and then took Game One against uh, Golden State, uh, you have to. I mean, if they were to make it to the finals, you had to take them very seriously at that point. It wouldn't be the uh, pushover for lack of a better term and that might even be a little bit strong but um they wouldn't be as uh prohibitive a favorite as i think we would have expected them to be a couple weeks ago exactly and the other thing for me that's really kind of impressive and it's almost become um a a non-discussion with the way they're they're coming together now is uh you know this is a contract year for kevin durant and there's been a lot of talk that he could go, I mean, that Golden State could move a couple pieces and, and open up a spot for him there. San Antonio could open up some uh, cap room and, and deal off a couple of role players and get him in there. God, if he ended up in San Antonio, wouldn't that be the most San Antonio I thing mean, ever? yes and no. Like, I, uh, two weeks ago, I would have said that would have been the worst nightmare. But, like, if you're looking at those two teams now, I'd rather be on Oklahoma City. I mean, their, their nucleus is still pretty young. Um, you've still got Russ. You, you've still got, I mean, you got those bigs. Um, and, and you look at San Antonio, and, I mean, yeah, they've got Aldridge. 
And sure, they've got um, uh, Kawhi, who's phenomenal, obviously, but Tim Duncan's probably done. Tony Parker, Manny Ginobili, not far behind. Um, you gotta have to, you're gonna have to really wonder as most of that um, era of the team moves on. Like, how much longer is Greg Popovich gonna stick around? Um, I mean, I don't think San Antonio is ever gonna go into a full rebuild mode, but they would definitely have some holes to fill. And if you're Durant, I mean, you just eliminated them with the team you got. But I guess my point is, like, we know what it's like to have your superstar in that position. And I think he's got a better supporting cast than what the Cavs had the first time around with LeBron. But Well, I mean, Russell, he's got a top five player yep. in the league. So, yeah, it's much better than, than LeBron had. It was, it was funny. I was actually uh, I was watching the game with a couple of buddies last night, re-looking over that roster from that team. And God, they were. There's a lot of garbage on that. Team. Which one? The Cavs? Uh, the yeah, the Cavs finals. Oh, the 07 team, team in the finals. Such yeah, trash. I mean, all those teams really, not just the finals one, but all those teams with LeBron, like garbage, like top to bottom. It's unbelievable that they were able to win as many games as they did. No question. And I mean, the thing that to kind of shift the discussion just a little bit here, but. You know, one of the comments that I'll never forget LeBron making shortly after he announced he was going to Miami was um, he said he needed teammates that weren't going to die down in the moment. And, I mean, that, that really kind of stung for that supporting cast that, that was, you know, all in around him. But I – Yeah, that was kind it of – It was, but, you know, the, the thing I was going to say about that and where I'm going with this is I don't think it was totally – just um, a commentary on his teammates. I think it was also saying something about his coach because, you know, if you look, and there was a great story, I don't know if you saw this today, from uh, Ken Berger of CBS and just how what what Ty Lue's been able to do since he took over in the middle of the season and how he's basically just completely changed the uh, the culture in the locker room. Did you... Yeah, I uh, told LeBron to yes. fuck up. Yeah. And and that's the thing is like, I I really think that, you know, LeBron for is, I mean, we always, I mean, there's always the jokes about him being a coach killer. I think he's just such a dominant presence in the locker room and in the huddle and everywhere that, you know, everybody's afraid to step on his toes. And I think he kind of pushes people and, and kind of challenges them and like almost dares them to to fight back a little bit. It's kind of his way. I, the way I've always interpreted this is that it's kind of his way of seeing like, all right, are you going to be willing to stand up to me? Cause if you won't even get tough with me, like how can I trust you when the going gets tough and, and we all need to be in it together in the trenches. And I think that really to have like Ty Lou step up and, and basically tell him off and get real, uh, um, um, not be afraid to pull punches in film sessions and in practice and everywhere else and, and really get on LeBron and push him in a way that David Blatt, by all accounts, never really did. And I think going back to the first era, Mike Brown never really did. Um, I think that's played a huge role in the way that LeBron has um, responded to him because I think LeBron has really shown a, a trust for him and, and you just see how complimentary he is of of uh, Ty Lue in, in all of his interviews now. And um, I, I think that was earned. Oh, for sure. Um, I think it's, it, you you see it everywhere. Just the way that the guys are reacting with each other now, 
um, is different than we've seen. I think they they look the most like a team that that uh, more like a team, I should say, than we've seen them look at any point. I think, and it's been for the entire playoff run. It hasn't been just like a game. It's been very consistent, and it seems like they're getting better every game. So, yeah, we we kind of scratched our heads at the um, at the coaching change in the middle of the season and it somehow it it already looks like it was easily the the right move and it took a long time i think even the rest of the regular season because if you remember last year i think the cavs over the second half of the year they finished the year on like a 32 and 3 run and and looked oh, yeah. great in the Probably second half of the regular stretch. season for the most part uh, down the stretch this year cavs did not look particularly great they were still really trying to iron it out and i don't think it really came down until about uh, a week or two left in the regular season where it started to seem like hey they may they might have something here and it's just kind of built ever since then and you know the, i mean the one challenge that we really need to see is what's going to happen when they lose a game what's going to happen when they're down 7 points with two and a half minutes to go, are they still going to trust each other? Are they still going to keep moving the ball? Are they are they going to stick with all the things that have worked for them? Because it's easy to to keep doing all these things when you jump out on teams and you boat race them, and next thing you know, you're up twenty five points in the second quarter, and you got your bench uh, uh, jumping up and down, and everybody's looking great and everybody's feeling great. Um, but you know what happens? And I will say that you know, I mean, it would have been very easy for them to pack it in in game three of that Atlanta series because they were down 13 points in the second half there. And uh, they, they really responded well to that adversity there, but it's going to, it's going to build from that. It, it will get much harder than that. And how are they going to respond to that? I think that's still the big question that's lurking out there. Yeah. I think the remaining concern is, um, yeah. What are they going to do when a team does come out and, and hit them and not, just fold because every team they've played has at some point the three teams they've played have put on a little bit of a run um in individual games but they inevitably they fold you saw it coming against atlanta a couple times like you just knew yeah they're gonna lose this game because they're atlanta and that's what they do um detroit i think was just a little bit younger and you know it was new to them so you sort of expected it at that point too so that wasn't necessarily surprising um We'll see with Toronto. I'm not sure. They might steal a game. I don't think it would be a huge surprise if they did take one. Um, I'd probably still bet on a sweep, but if they take one, they do. But overall, I think, obviously, whoever they play, if they get to the finals, I don't want to assume anything, but if they get to the finals, whoever they play is going to be a huge step up. And at some point, um, the Cavs are going to have to face some adversity, and we're going to see how they handle it. I've never, I, I, it's a question, it's a fair question, and it's a big question. That said, I've never felt better about them being equipped to handle it. They're going to have to do it, and we got to see it, but I, I've never felt better about the way that they've looked and, and, and just the way they're winning and the way they're executing on both ends, and it's, um, it, 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 I, I don't know how else to say it. I guess it's just you're you're, you're going to have to do it at some point, and this is uh, they're in a great position to to finally uh, get over the hurdle, and now it's just a matter of making it happen. I think um, maybe the thing that I've 
I've liked the most so far in these playoffs is that LeBron hasn't had to like take over any of these games. He's given Kyrie and to a lesser extent uh, love. It seems like he's put a ton of trust into them and he he's given them a lot of latitude to kind of control games at times and control the way, control the pace of play Kyrie, especially Um He's really given them that leeway to control areas that in the past he probably would have wanted um, to be a little more in control of. And the fact that he's giving those guys that that latitude to do those sorts of things, I think we'll we'll start to see if and when that adversity does hit, that those guys are more prepared for it. And LeBron's done a great job getting them prepared because he knows that that's going to happen eventually and they're going to need to be prepared. And you don't want their first time to be, you know, the biggest stage. You want them to be more comfortable and have some experience in those situations, and I think he's done a great job putting them in those situations so they are ready if and when the time comes. Last night, he he did in the first quarter. I mean, uh, Toronto got out a little bit early with that 7-0 run, and LeBron was the one that kind of uh, rolled up the newspaper and swatted them on the nose, so to speak, and, and just kind of said like, all right, enough. And he was the guy that kind of settled things down by taking uh, Damari Carroll down on the block and getting a very, very easy basket at the rim. And I think he might've had even their first uh, couple of baskets. But yeah, after that, it was the Kyrie show once again. And I, I, I need to throw this in here now, but before I forget or before we get off on another topic, that move that Kyrie had where he did the uh, double crossover behind the back around the foul line was as good of a one-on-one move as I can remember seeing in a long time. And that that you that the uh, the reaction from the crowd before he even got to the rim, and he had a difficult finish at the rim too, and he made it. But just that move to like get free by the line was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, you heard the entire crowd go quiet when he did it, and I was sitting there on the couch with my buddy, and we all went, "Oh shit." And then it it wasn't an easy finish. So I think for like half a second, I was like, well, it's going to suck if he puts that move on him and doesn't finish the basket. And he did. But yeah, it's one of those plays that I think, I'm not sure that like, I'm not sure a lot of people fully realize how difficult of a move that really was and how much skill that really requires. It was Um, so fast. It was so easy to almost miss. It was so quick and so fluid and, and smooth, and it didn't really look like he tried that hard, and and there wasn't like there wasn't a ton to it. It was pretty subtle, uh, as subtle as a move like that can be. But rest assured, there there's only a couple guys in in the world that can pull that off, um, and we're lucky to have one of them on our team, which is pretty it, awesome. Um, you don't see moves like that. No, frequently. you don't. It's not like it's not an everyday end. No, play. and his ability to finish at the rim is um, as good, I think, as anybody in the league. And as he tried to get back up to full speed this year and, and get back to 100% and what we know he can be, and that long road back from the broken kneecap, I think that was one thing that it seemed like was kind of running hot and cold was his ability to finish at the rim. And um, he had some some difficult shots, and it's like you can't really hold it against them because those are some of those shots that he makes at the rim that he was missing this year. It's like, well, they're they're hard for a reason. And but I mean, I, I feel like now, um, 
again, knock on wood, he he looks like he is all the way back. I mean, he is making those shots. He's hitting the mid-range shots. He shot well from three-point range. I mean, he's had the he's shown the full arsenal here, and he's done it um, over multiple games. I mean, we're nine games into the playoffs now, and he's still the Cavs' leading scorer for the postseason. He was again last night as well. Yeah, I mean, not much to add to that, honestly. Yeah, we were worried about how he would come back, and it's pretty safe to say he's back to form. Um, it, it's the Kyrie we all expected to see. And sort of going back to what I was saying a minute ago, he seems a lot more comfortable playing with LeBron than he was previously. Um, and I, But I think a lot of that is the fact that LeBron's deferring to him a little more and he's given Kyrie that, that freedom to, you know, kind of dribble the ball, maybe a little more than he would ideally like, but um, the way that they're operating right now is about as good as I think we can expect it to get. And if they can keep it up, I'm not sure it really matters. who. And again, I think that goes back to the way that those two are interacting on the court. I do think that the coaching has played a large role in that. And um, Ty Lue getting that everybody to buy into the notion of passing the ball and keeping it moving and getting everybody involved and uh, things that um, David Blatt might've wanted to do, but didn't really uh, get the buy-in on. And um, I I think it all plays together. It's, um, it's good stuff. Sure. For sure. So, you know, they got to do it for a couple more weeks, but if they can keep it up, I think there's not many concerns about how they're playing now, which, which is good. Um, the only question is, can they keep it up? You have to cross your fingers and hope they can do it for seven more. Yeah. Games. Stay rolling, stay healthy. That's the, the, the gotta be the, the mindset from, uh, from here on out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it is nice. I'll say to, you know, you know, be able to bench LeBron in the end of the third quarter. 28 minutes um, last night he played. 28 minutes in a conference final game. I have to think that has to be close to a career low for him. Um, uh, that's You're used to seeing him probably 36 minimum during conference finals before. Um, but, yeah, if they can keep doing that, it's fine. I think we're seeing what happens when these guys are preserving their legs and they're getting rest and – not just in the, like, having a week off, but not having to play 38 to 40 minutes a game, too. Um, is paying dividends, I yeah, think. I mean, when you get a week off or nine days off or whatever it is between these rounds, um, it, it, uh, it it's okay to extend yourself a little bit in the games that you are playing because you're going to get so much rest around it, but... I mean, it's it's kind of frightening if you're anybody else looking at the Cavs. Um, the fact that they're able to kind of recharge after each of these rounds with these extended breaks and they're not really expending a ton of energy when they are playing. So we'll see. Hey, let's move on here. Um, the other thing we wanted to get into tonight, um, did you watch Believe Land over the weekend? I did. I did. I, I begrudgingly, honestly, I did not really intend to watch it because um, ESPN has has historically made uh, they've they've often picked the low hanging fruit on Cleveland, and I don't know. I felt like it was just going to be replays of that stock footage that we always see anytime Cleveland's in any sort of significant situation where it's 
the drive, the fumble, red right 88, the decision, Jose Mesa, blah, 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 blah. And and I and I I thought it was just going to be more of that. And so I was like I don't really care honestly. I don't I don't need to see that again. I've seen it all and ESPN trying to, you know, suddenly act like, you know, they're advocates for Cleveland all of a sudden, you know, kiss my ass honestly. And I saw a bunch of people online say, "Oh no, it's not like that. It's great. Blah blah blah. Go watch it. It's gonna. It's, it's not like that. It paints." And then I watched it, and it was pretty much exactly what I thought it was. Uh, yeah, the um, that misery montage that you mentioned. Mark my words. No matter how this uh, Cavs playoff run ends, or where it ends, whether good, bad, or or indifferent, you're going to see it again this year. Um, it's just a matter of what context it's going to be in, because I guarantee you they're going to find a way to dig up that 30-second montage. And like you, I was pretty leery of this whole project. The one thing that made me feel a little bit better about it was the fact that I knew it was going to be directed by somebody who was a native of Northeast Ohio. So I felt like maybe that would kind of help um, protect us a little bit, I guess from some of the uh, usual uh, ESPN nonsense. Um, And it was interesting to me that uh, I think Andy Billman was the director's name. He was not the director originally tapped for that project. There was somebody else, and I don't know the entire story, but he... uh, Yeah, it had been tapered Yeah, because that definitely was in the works before LeBron came back, which was why... um, I I noted that it was, you know, it, it made the the whole thing um, with them kind of framing it, starting and ending all around LeBron's return to Cleveland. Um, yeah, that that was something that would not have been the case. I, I really would have liked to have known what the original vision for the project was and how much different it would have looked in in the original director's hands, because. Um, yeah, I think if it came out a couple of years ago when LeBron was in Miami, it would have had a slightly different feel, even. Um, but overall, I, it, it wasn't it wasn't anything new. I will say, I did kind of, you know, give me a new respect, I guess, for Ernest Biner. I was a little I was very young at the time. I, I want to say it was what eighty seven was him. Was it something eighty six like season was the drive, and the eighty seven season was the fumble. Okay, so I, I mean, I was three years old, so I don't remember it in person, and I've only heard of it, and I've seen the replay a dozen times, and, and that's all f- well and good, but um, it, it, it gave me a new respect for the guy. I mean, a, a guy that I didn't really see play. Um, what's your earliest so that, memory? Like, what are the what's the first season for any of the teams in Cleveland that you can really remember following along with and understanding what was going on? Vividly remember... It would be the 95 okay. Indians, um, which, which I mean, I was 11 at that time, so I, I watched games, but there weren't, like, uh, there's not really many seasons that, that vividly stand out. I can vividly remember the end of the uh, last Brown season when they mm-hmm. were moving, um, but, I mean, that was 96. A lot of it was just, like, games. 95 for the Browns. It was the 95 season, and then okay, 96, yeah. 97, okay. 98, so, they were well, gone. Yeah. Very end. Okay. Um, so, yeah, right around the same time as the Indians. I can remember that. But I don't I don't vividly remember any games as a kid. I, 
I remember being devastated in the 95 World Series. I don't remember being upset about any games before that. I, I think because they didn't really play in any major, major games before that. Uh, that 94 Indians team could have been very good. Uh, if that season happened, I still think they probably, you know, could have been, uh, I think probably would have won one of those, either 94 or 95, I think, if that 94 season didn't Yeah, a lot of people... Really. And that's just me being a... A lot of people kid, always but. point to the Expos as being the team that really got screwed over by that season being canceled because I think they had the best record in baseball and then they were really never particularly relevant ever again after that. And, I mean, sure, I'd be bitter if I was a, a Montreal Expos fan, but that 94 season, the Indians, I mean, I think they were only two games out of first place. They were certainly in the mix for the wild card. And it was the first time they were in real contention in decades when the the plug got pulled on that season. That really, you know, that, that, that was, there was no mention of all at all of that. And that was the thing that I felt like was the weirdest part of, of that entire documentary was that um, somehow it felt like they tried to cram too many things in. And at the same time, there were multiple major Cleveland heartbreak storylines that they didn't even come close to getting into. Um, just for reference, um, there was a, another 30 for 30 that came out back in December. I don't know if you saw it, a Four Falls of Buffalo, which was basically... No, I did not. I okay, so, I mean, you can, just by the title, you understand the premise. It was about yeah, them losing sure. the four Super Bowls in a row. Just for reference, so that was about four straight Super Bowls, and it was a 90-minute documentary. This one for Cleveland was a 90-minute documentary, and they basically tried to cram in twice as many events. So, it just as, as somebody who has lived through most of them, um, I didn't really learn anything new in what they presented a little bit, just with like the stuff around the move for the Browns in 95. I don't think I knew personally. I remember going through that. I was at the game on that Sunday um, against the Oilers the day before they announced that they were officially moving. I remember driving down there with my mom and, and hearing on the radio that there were bomb threats on the stadium. Um, I remember the atmosphere in that stadium that day. Um, but in terms of like the actual like negotiating and what was going on with the city and just how many other things Art Modell had been involved in outside of sports in Cleveland I, and, and how many other projects he kind of helped out around town and, and overextended himself with, I don't think I really knew all of that stuff. But by and large, like most of the, the stuff on there, I felt like I, I already kind of knew. But um, I just wonder, like, at the same time, maybe some of that was educational for people outside of Cleveland that only know like the 32nd Cliffs Notes version that you get every time the Cavs are, or one of a Cleveland team is in the playoffs. Maybe you're learning something from that, but at the same time, it still felt like they didn't, didn't really paint a complete picture for most of the stories that they tackled in there. Yeah. I also didn't care for uh, some of the people they had on there. Like they gave a ton of time to Scott Rabb who, who I, I like his writing. I like, um, I, I think he's a good writer and I think he does represent Cleveland well, but I take a little bit of, I find it kind of funny that he's sitting in Cleveland where he doesn't live anymore. Um, talking about what a great city this is and how connected he feels to the city that he moved out of 20 years ago. 
while sitting in a deli that is now closed and out of business with his kid, um, it, it just sort of rang a little bit hollow to me. I'm not sure why they picked him exactly. Well, he was a producer for um, it, for starters. Okay, producers often stay behind <laughs> the camera. Um where he probably, I think, should have been. There's a lot of guys in Cleveland who have been covering these events and seen them in person. So he 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 has been following Cleveland forever, but then they had Goldhammer. Goldhammer was obviously who, the biggest uh, uh, sore spot, I think, for uh, Clevelanders, just because he's not one of us. Somehow he talks his way into all these ESPN productions. Um, anytime something seems to happen in Cleveland, it's funny, I got into someone... Uh, I was talking to someone about it last week, and I was like, why they like keep going to this guy for like the voice of Cleveland? I do not understand at all. And like, you know, someone they were like, oh, you know, he likes Cleveland. He he was real emotional when LeBron came back. I was like, yeah, it's because he was going to get called to be on Sports <laughs> Center. Like every everything that he values about Cleveland is what it can do for him. Um, and he hasn't been through any of this. He doesn't actually care about any of these teams. Um, if you look at the things that he's always advocating for and the things he always wants are things that like he want, he, no one in Cleveland wanted Manziel more than he did. And it's not because he thought Manziel would be good for the Browns. It's because it would bring the Browns attention and give him something to talk about. Um, so of all the people in town in sports media that you could go to, to talk to about these things, he's should have been like literally one of the last people on your list. Um, but yet they opened the entire thing. That, yeah, that that was very off-putting to a lot of people. I know it's like of all people to have on camera first. I I, I think I, I agree with you, and that Scott Reb was on there more than I needed to hear from him. Um, that said, I'm glad he was on there. I do think that he definitely needed to be on camera at some point. I I, I felt like he was very well spoken and um, just not the 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 usage rate. I guess to use a, a NBA uh, advanced metric. I, I, his usage rate was a little uh, much, um, but I, I thought he was good. I, I thought Grossi was yeah, good. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not far and away against him being on it. I guess I should say that I, I thought he did well, but I thought, like you said, it was a little bit much of him, and I and I do find it a little like uh, disingenuous when this guy's talking about how connected and how much he loves the city. And it's like, well, then why'd you move away? And why haven't you lived here for like, 20 see, I'm years? glad you mentioned that because they kind of put this spin on the Cleveland fans outrage at LeBron leaving. Did you notice this? They started talking a little bit about how a lot of it was seated in this whole notion that like deep down we resented him because like so many other people we've seen members of our families to like I never go make it big in their own careers they needed to go somewhere else in their lives and and LeBron was basically doing the same thing to to us and and he was turning his back on Cleveland to like go make it big elsewhere like you I never that never entered into it for me in terms of like why I was upset when he left I was upset because the guy pledged to bring a title here and he didn't and he strung them along with uh, with a, with a, uh, this elaborate production in 2010 with all these teams coming in for this circus in Cleveland, and then stuck the knife in like the most public manner possible with uh, with his decision show. Um, but uh, yeah, the whole thing about him like 
going somewhere else to win. Oh, everyone leaves Cleveland. No, I never, that was never. That, that, yeah, that never registered for me. But then the other thing was, it was like, that was kind of the, the theme you wanted to put around that, but yet they never connected the dots to the fact that like so many of the other central figures that were prominently involved in these other heartbreaks really ended up finding success elsewhere. Like, Ernest Biner won a ring with the Redskins. Bernie Kosar won a ring with the Cowboys. Um, LeBron, uh, Bill Belichick, after he was here, went out and won a bunch of rings with the Patriots. Um, Did you find it kind of funny that Jim Tomey is sitting there in an empty room with nothing on the wall except the White Sox jersey? That was bizarre. Somebody else pointed that out online. It's really weird. How, How did no one look at this and say, why don't we just, you know, pan over a little bit and cut that part out or maybe put your Indians jersey up there, you know, because you did play there for 11 years and it's about Cleveland. That was very strange. <laughs> Just weird to me. I don't, I don't, I honestly don't have a big problem with it, I guess. I don't know. It's just seemed very strange yeah. to me. So, yeah, just to get back to what I was saying before about um, them kind of rushing through things and I just, I mean, for me, it didn't really add anything that I didn't know for the most part. And I feel like for people outside of Cleveland, it still didn't really entirely tell the story. And, and then the, the other thing that kind of frustrated me was there were some really big, I mean, it seemed like they were trying to focus on the biggest moments uh, of failure, like the, the, the most spectacular and, and gut wrenching, but it, it kind of warped things a little bit. And that like, with the Browns in the 80s, they talked about like, oh, 86, it, it sucked, but we knew we were coming back and, you know, 30 seconds of setup and here we are at the 87 season championship game. And then Rizzo kind of said like, that was kind of like when we felt like the window closed and they just completely ignored the fact that like two years later, they were in the championship game again against the Broncos. And I know it wasn't as close, but like maybe, or, or I should say like, um, I, I don't know, maybe it was just because like, uh, Marty Schottenheimer and Ernest Biner were gone by then, and those were two of the guys that they spent the most time talking with for that part of the the film. But um, yeah, I mean, like the majority of that team was still in place and, and was still in contention there for the next two years after where they left off. And then, like the Indians, um, you know, like we said, there was no real mention in '94. Um, 2007 was another really glaring one. I mean, you think about how what a crazy season that was. They start off the year with their home series, uh, home opener series snowed out, they had to play games in another city because the weather here was so bad. Uh, they win their first division title in six years. Um, they get to the uh, LCS and uh, they're up 3-1 with their three best pitchers going. And then the whole thing with uh, game seven where uh, Skinner put up the stop sign on Lofton. Um, that That whole chapter of the Indians history just no mention at all yeah that's I mean that's still that's still a sore spot I still look at I still look back at that um and I'm not sure how it got completely left out I also also thought that we're a little generous to Modell um a little friendly and maybe it's because he's dead (laughs) I don't know um but the fact that they were able like I understand that they put it out there but they didn't I understand that they interviewed David Modell and they didn't uh, they put they included his stuff in there because you had to but the part where he says the Browns never left um, and that Browns fans just get over it and they basically let him say it and they never like 
they never like followed up on it. They just like left completely it ignoring like, the fact that everything since yeah. then has been a complete and total catastrophe here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like ignoring the fact that the Ravens played their first season with uh, Browns on all of their shit. <laughs> uh, like, well, if, if the Browns didn't leave Cleveland, why are the Browns right there on that, that those pads say Browns on them and those, uh, those chests on the sidelines say Browns on them and all those jackets say Browns on them. What are those? What are those guys doing? Those look like Browns <laughs> to me. Uh, but according to him, they weren't. You know, we were just the Browns were still in Cleveland. So I don't know. I guess I'm confused on history on that one. I don't know what I don't know what the case was. There. I will. Uh, I will say that I thought Rizzo did a better job than I expected him to. Um, I like Rizzo on the radio, kind of as a homer, but I also think he's kind of a blowhard and an idiot <laughs> in general. But I thought he did a pretty good job. Um, representing what you know what cleveland people felt about certain moments and things um and he got a lot of airtime but i thought he did a good t- i would agree with it. that and for all the reasons that we might not have wanted to see Goldhammer on there i think rizzo was the complete opposite where love him or hate him i, I think he is an authentic clevelander and and uh, his uh his gets us factor is very high and um Incredible. He, he for better or worse he's one of us so uh, and I will say that um, as leery as I was of, of how it might portray fans in Cleveland, the one thing that I think they did a pretty good job with um, overall, uh, I cringed a little bit during the LeBron jersey burning stuff. But outside of that, all the stuff they showed to the fans through the years right up to the very end with um, when everybody was walking out of the queue after the finals ended last year, I thought they did a, a pretty decent job of representing Cleveland fans and, and making us look uh, look good and uh, eternal optimists and not uh, uh, small town rubes, which was yeah yeah I think they were fair I don't, I don't think I think a lot of times the the easy uh, easy play is to just you know kind of make us look like losers and nut jobs and people that take it too seriously and I think they did a pretty good uh, pretty fair job of just saying hey we're just passionate and loyal. Um, so I guess all in all, it was probably a little better than I expected it to be, but it was very high on the, uh, uh, here's those replays that we've been playing forever. Um, we're going to replay those again, but we have some new fan footage that you probably haven't seen before of the same event. But all in all, I guess I'm okay with it. It wasn't too bad. I, I didn't mind it. I watched it. I didn't find myself like dying to turn it off. Uh, except when Goldhammer was on, uh, but beyond that, it was it was it was fair. I just think there was there's other things I would have done differently if I were doing it. It's a hard subject just because there's so much material to tackle. Um, it, it it could have been better. It could have been worse. Um, ultimately, knowing what it what it could have been uh, under the auspices of ESPN, um, given their history with with our city, uh, I will gladly. Uh, take that as uh, their, their shot at um, telling our story and let's just move on. <laughs> I'll say, I, I personally think um, what there needs to be a 30 for 30 on, and I think it would have been a better, more inter- interesting and entertaining one would have been if they just focused exclusively on the Browns move um, and all the politics and shit that went on behind the scenes for that. Um, they got into it a little bit, but I don't think they ever really clarified 
how it happened. Like if I was someone who had no knowledge of of that whole scenario, um, if I was a twenty year old kid who just knew, yeah, some uh, there was a time when the Browns didn't, or when Cleveland didn't have a team, and I was watching it, I would have come away from it still not really knowing what happened. Um, and I think it's easily the most significant sporting event in Cleveland history. And that was still the the section they probably spent the most time on out of anything yeah, and it and still left you wanting more. Did you ever see the, um, doc, the, 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 I think it was only like an hour long on NFL network, a football life. It was about the 95 move. Oh, no. it's fantastic. It goes into a lot more detail. They got Belichick for it. And, um, his bitterness towards Modell for, for the way that he basically left the team hanging um, and just his resentment over the fact that like the Browns were in first place when that move was announced. And I think they won like one game the entire rest of the year because of just what chaos it caused within the franchise by doing that in mid season. It's uh, it was super interesting. So for you and anybody else huh, who to wants to out. dig deeper into the history of the Browns move that that one tells a much more complete story. Interesting. I'll have to check that one out. I haven't. I didn't even know that it was out there. Um, I've seen. I have seen some of that. I like a lot of the stuff that NFL Films mm-hmm. puts together. The Paul Brown um, one they did they last year do. was tremendous too. Yes, I loved that one. That one was really good. I did see that one. Um, but yeah, typically I like a lot of the stuff they do. Truthfully, with the thirty for thirties, uh, I'm probably fifty fifty on them. Um, some of them I end up really enjoying. Other ones I think are made out to be a lot better than they actually were. But um, this one's probably right around the middle. All right, for you me. piqued my interest now. Like, which ones did you think were overrated? Uh, the Miami one, the U. Um, I thought it was pretty okay. Dumb. Uh, the the one with all the broke athletes. Okay. I thought it was horrible. Like they just talked to all these guys. Like, what did you blow your money on? Oh, okay, that was stupid. Let's go talk to another guy. What did you <laughs> blow your money on? Oh, you bought a, a, a necklace that you shouldn't have bought and a, a Ferrari. Now you're broke. Okay, moving on to the next guy. Like, it was all stories we've all heard before, and that one I think was probably the laziest and the most boring of them. Um, there's been a couple others that, off the top of my head, I can't. Which think ones of, have but, you liked? Um, there, there was one, and I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember when it was. It was not that long ago. Um, the one about uh. The guy whose name escapes me, he was the uh, basketball player that died. Dresden Patrick. Okay. That one I really enjoyed for some reason, and I don't know why. It's funny because I, t- I tend to enjoy the ones that I don't uh, don't really know much about and don't have any real connection to um, any of the parties involved. I also really liked the one about the soccer guy that got killed, even though I hate mm. soccer. Like, it's just not interesting to me. Um, but uh, I think it was the Colombian guy in the mm-hmm. Olympics who I think he missed a goal or it was the world really cup. The, uh, the own goal. Found it. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what it was. That's it. And I found that really interesting. Um, it's funny because it's usually the ones that kind of go outside of the sports world a little bit more um, as opposed to the ones that are just like, Oh, how did this team lose this game? Um and I'm sure there's other ones, but off the top of my head, I can't really think of all. The, what about you? Have you had any? Yeah, really there liked? was a couple that my all-time favorite, and this will not come as a surprise, was June 17th, 1994. 
which was all centered around all the events that were happening that day at the same time, most notably the Bronco chase with OJ. But uh, it also had like the NBA finals game and the entire thing. There was like no talking heads in it at all. It was like all footage that was cut together chronologically jumping around from channel to channel. And it just got like more manic and intense as like the day went on. Cause like all these things were unfolding. I mean, you had those two events, you had Arnold Palmer playing his last round at the U S open ever in his career. Ken Griffey jr. Hitting a home run when he was on pace to um, break Roger Maris's record at that point. Uh, the Rangers, having their first Stanley cup parade in 40 years in New York. And um, it was, uh, it's wild. It was really. Did it have the uh, David Hasselhoff concert? Uh, Yeah. I think there was reference to that. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny because I always, I always think of that for some reason. Like that's the one thing that sticks out to me is I can remember he had like all these people buy this pay-per-view and then no one actually watched it. Um, Obviously that's a, that's a footnote to, other actual important events that happened, but um, that's an interesting one. Oh, I that, that. I, I would not be shocked that. if they rerun that because they're actually, they're coming out with a 30 for 30 here soon. It's going to be an actual eight part series about OJ and that whole trial. It's like the non dramatized version yeah, of FX, that. like rather than being like a reenactment. And I love that FX series. Uh, I didn't finish. Oh it. my god, it was that was phenomenal. It, Michelle and I, that was like appointment viewing for us every week for uh, ten weeks or so over the winter. So, um, yeah, and they said people that have seen the uh, the new thirty for thirty that's coming out on that. They said that if you like that series, then this thirty for thirty is going to put that to shame. It's so much better. So, yeah. yeah. So I, I like the, the June seventeenth one. Um, there was a few college football ones that I thought were really interesting, like uh, the one on SMU. Um, yeah, that one was decent. Was that the, like the Pony that. Express, I think that might have been called? I, I don't, uh, Excess, Pony yeah, Excess, that I makes believe. sense. And then um, there was one, uh, just like the whole story about uh, Marcus Dupree at uh, Oklahoma. Um, just any of those college football ones from that era I, I tend to do enjoy. And... Um, Oh, the, the Detroit Pistons one, the bad boys. Um, 80s NBA will always uh, hook me in as well. So I, I, I had fun with that yeah, one. Yeah, that's those are, those are, those are, it was an easier time <laughs> then. You could just knock the shit out of a guy and he'd go shoot his free throws. There was no review to see whether it was a flagrant and ejections and retroactive penalties and all that. It was a simpler <laughs> time, you know. Very much so. Those... I just need Archie Bunker singing those are the days in the background for me. <laughs> that that that's a slippery slope there. I don't know if we want to go to Archie Bunker territory. That Yeah, I'm not sure Archie not sure Archie Bunker was big for reasons. <laughs> Probably not. All right. Hey, we've been going an hour. I think uh, it's time to call off the dogs here and uh, go watch the end of this uh Western Conference uh, finals game. Okay, so you can't claw back yeah. into it. They're down. I think yeah, nine right now. Yeah. Should be good stuff. So anyway, um, as always, uh, nailpodcast.com, or I should say the nailpodcast.com. Uh, like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the nail podcast. Uh, go subscribe on iTunes and uh, we will be back uh, next week. Um, very likely the uh, Cavs will have their ticket punched to the NBA finals by then, but uh, we will see how it plays out. 
So for uh, Travis Julie, I am Tom Valentino. This has been The Nail in the Coffin, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.